once. The great king's body is frigid and stiff. Icicles have formed on his beard and moustache, spreading through the wiry hair in a crystalline pattern of geometric webbing. His clothes are tattered and patchy, almost eaten to the last thread. The skin underneath is of the purest white, like polished marble. Water falls from the cave ceiling, drip, drip, dripping onto the king's stone bed just beside his left shoulder. The water has bored a hole through the rock, eroding it over the centuries. Dirty moss has crept up over the king's flesh. Still, he sleeps. His sword, lying across his body like a cross, is as sharp and as polished as it ever was. A grand, wondrous weapon, an elegant, illustrious symbol. A great crystal orb hangs over the king's head. White smoke within twirls and dances as the king dreams, as he waits. Soon it will be time to awake. He knows that somehow, although it is not conscious thought. All he needs is the sign, the messenger. Then he'll awake and return in all his celebrated glory to rule and guide, to thrust his country back into the fires and reforge it stronger than ever. All he needs is to sleep and wait. Wait for the sign. Across the country, the beast stirs from its own slumber, climbs up on unsure legs, wobbles there for a moment. Once it's able to walk without falling, it makes its way out of the long buried den. It has to gorge its way from beneath the earth, not easy with its only tool, the antlers atop its head. When it emerges, its gorgeous white coat is mud splattered and spoiled. That won't do, not one bit. So it wanders the woods until it finds a deep pool of glistening water and wades in up to its neck. Actually, on closer inspection, the water isn't as clean as it would like. Green with flies and insects skating on its surface, brown froth foaming up at the edges. When the beast emerges, it has algae matted into its fur and draped over its antlers. Flies bite into its stinking fur and the creature has to shake them away, grunting. This is not the glorious return it was supposed to be. Something has to be done about it. Next, the ancient animal comes to a clearing in the woods. There, it rolls in the long grass, wiping most of the muck off while the sun above dries the dirty water. When it's done, the situation has improved somewhat. The beast's white fur is stained green in some places, and there is dirt coating its ankles, but still, better. It sits there in the sun for a while, basking in the heat, enjoying the moment it can before the work begins. The town is full of noise and motion. Great metal chariots drive this way and that, coughing plumes of grey smoke into the air. The atmosphere is taut and hot, aggression bubbles under the surface. People rush about, shouting, fuming. At what? The beast cannot tell. It strolls through the place, its animal brain trying to make sense of what it sees. Nothing is familiar. It had expected change, of course, but perhaps not to this nature. But then, these were the end of days, was it not to be expected? People are gawking at the beast, some laughing nervously, some recoil in fear. None come to pay it homage, none bow or go down upon knee. There is nobody there to drape it in ceremonial garb or to hang charms from its antlers. There is no procession leading it towards the lake and the king's resting place. Without letting itself be slowed or off-put, 
The beast strides proudly through the busy streets, heading to its destination with renewed vigour. All is fine. They have forgotten, but they will remember when the king awakes. People are following it now, but not in awe of its majesty, but in curiosity and in some places fear. Others, whom the beast thinks might be knights, push the onlookers back and glare at the beast as if its presence is an affront to them. Soon, the knights are riding their metal chariots, blocking the beast's way and directing it back from where it has come. Could they truly have forgotten to this extent? Why would they block the way when their very future depended on the beast's journey? Don't they know, deep down in their subconscious, that their king is ready to return? Sharp pain, like a bite, thuds into the beast's flank and its head grows light. The knights are casting some kind of magic to lure the beast to sleep. But this isn't the same magic it had known, not the kind that comes from the heart. This is the magic of the mind, cold and logical, uncaring. More bites and the beast has to fight the sleep overcoming it. Panic sets in. The beast thrashes and bucks, runs from the knights in their chariots. It winds through the town's streets, desperately searching for a way through. Where is the lake? Where is the king? A crash like thunder tears through the air and a hush falls over the town. White hot pain flares inside the beast and it looks down to see its royal white coat stained red. Its legs give way and it collapses to the hard ground. Its head is heavy and shadows dim its vision. Eons of old blood pool on the ground, seeping through the gaps in the stone road. The beast desperately cries out for the king, but there is no response. Of course there isn't. For how could the king help anyone if the beast was not there to wake him? There, on the cold stone ground, surrounded by the misguided knights and their doomed townsfolk, the beast lets its last breath and dies. The great king's body is frigid and stiff. Still he sleeps, dreaming of past and future glories. White smoke twirls and dances in the crystal orb over the king's head, and he waits. Soon it will be time to wake up. All he needs is the sign, the messenger. Then he'll awake and return in all his celebrated glory to rule and to guide, to thrust his country back into the fires and reforge it, stronger than ever. All he needs is to sleep and to wait. Wait for the sign.